Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Separating fact from fiction. We're going to repeal it and replace it. And, and it'll be great health care for much less money. We can have the benefits that were promised to them without any change whatsoever. But if we keep kicking the can down the road, keep digging the hole deeper, burying that deficit more, that's much harder to keep that kind of a commitment. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Susan Tom from Kansas City, Missouri. Marsha from Pittsburgh. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy, just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA, 146 affiliates strong. Thanks to all of you in our listening audience. Our producer today, Mr. Oscar Montarosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows across the United States. If you have questions, anything I can help you with, you can go to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. You can also follow me on Facebook. It's spelled C-A-R. Why? Pretty easy, right? Carrie Hall on Facebook if you want to follow me there. And if you need help with anything regarding health insurance or other health issues, 877-385-2224, 877-385-2224. Operators are standing by, as always, to take your calls. Um, they will be happy to chat with you, and we will get back to you after the broadcast, as we always do. Well, today is a special day. We are coming to you live in Washington, D.C., from the State Financial Officers Foundation Conference, and we are broadcasting from the Heritage Foundation. This is actually quite a privilege, great pleasure place to be. These folks have been extremely hospitable to us. It's great to be here. Um, and joining me today on the show, Allison Ball, back again. Welcome back. Uh, Allison Ball, State Treasurer for the state of Kentucky. Ron Crane, State Treasurer for the state of Idaho. Welcome back, Ron. Thank you, Corey. Do you really want to say... Uh, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> well, we do have a problem, Houston, because Allison doesn't have a mic yet. I know, but she will have it in a minute. And uh, the president of the State Financial Officers Foundation, Derek Kreifels. Welcome, Derek. Thank you, Kerry. And Glad joining us for the first time, John Hart, president of the board of directors of the State Financial Officers Foundation. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Kerry. It's great to be on. Well, it was great to be. It was great to be on the panel with you today. That was pretty exciting. That was. That pretty was a great pretty, conversation. Uh, pretty, yeah. <laughs> a lot of ground to cover. Uh, yeah, we could have gone a lot longer, I think, if we wanted to. Derek, what, you know, this is an out of the box show, folks. You know, we try to do some things sometimes that are a little different. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of topics today, a lot of which have nothing to do with healthcare, but some which do. But what you're going to get an opportunity to do is hear from people who have a perspective from various parts of the country about a number of these issues. So with that, I'm going to ask Derek to kind of set it up. And what are we going to talk about today, Derek? Right, Carrie. Thank you so much for having us again. Uh, you know, it was great being with you, having you with us in Coeur d'Alene last fall uh, for kind of the, I, I think of this, uh, that was part one of the show. And now, <laughs> now we're, uh, we're doing part two, but you know, there's a lot going on here in Washington, DC. And, and this is the first time that our foundation and its state leaders have had a national meeting here. Um, we've it kind is, of, I did not know that. We've kind of intent, been intentional about keeping it to the states. You know, right. our models look to the right. states. Yes. So we, we really um, wanted to focus on state solutions. We, we all recognize that the federal government's, you know, struggles to get things done. Um, That's being kind. But, but a lot of the states are where the solutions come from. So we've, uh, we've been here since Tuesday. Um, we had a phenomenal meeting at the White House yesterday morning. Um, got to meet with um, White House Communications uh, staff, um, Mercedes Schlapp, uh, with uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Steve Mnuchin. Um, 
it was fascinating to hear their perspective perspectives on um, you know everything from tax reform to some of the the nitty-gritty of some of the federal laws and rules and regs that are coming out that affect these state treasurers state auditors and state controllers um, today obviously here at the Heritage Foundation you know we're talking about everything from the impact of the uh, the, the uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act uh, that passed last year uh, to uh, health care and, and the impact that it's having financially on the states. Um, we're uh, visiting a little bit about our involvement with the state of Israel uh, and our support. Many of our treasures are engaged with investing directly in Israel bonds. Um, and then we also um, are uh, talking about Dodd-Frank reform. So, um, you know, we're surrounded by amazing talent. We've had uh, you know, we just had uh, a Brett Bear from speaking Fox News. Of amazing talent. <laughs> yeah, speaking yeah. of amazing talent. Uh, Brett Bear came in and, and spent a few minutes with us fielding questions kind of about the political uh, situation here in Washington. Um, we heard from uh, leader uh, Congresswoman uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers of, of the state of Washington. Um, and uh, it's just been a phenomenal week so far. And uh, we all, it ends tomorrow. Yeah, it does, but it has been phenomenal. Grace Marie Turner also joined us today, yes. and that was pretty fantastic yep. having her on. So l let's start off with um, uh, with tax reform, and let's let's just kind of go around the table and talk about this a little bit because um, uh, you know you're, you're hearing mixed messages in the media. Although you know, if you're looking at the Wall Street Journal and and, and you're paying attention to the markets, what's going on? What I'm seeing is I travel around the country, and I do a lot of that um, is is extremely positive. So, Ron, let's start with you in the state of Idaho. What well, are you seeing in the state of Idaho as a direct result of this jobs and tax reform package? Absolutely. I think it's one of the best things that's happened in the last 30 years as far as what congressional action. Uh, this tax cut has had a major impact on our economy, uh, creating new jobs, uh, job growth, uh, reduction in unemployment like we've never seen before. Uh, more income for individual families because they're able to keep the money that they have earned. And as a result, the states are realizing surpluses or realizing more money coming to the states because of the, the job creation. People are back to work. I'm per currently building a, a new home, and we started in October. should have been done in April. Uh, my builder can't get it finished probably by June because he can't get subcontractors to come and finish the job because they're so busy. Isn't that great? The economy. Not for you, but it's great. <laughs> Your wife wouldn't agree with that Well, comment. my 600-square-foot yeah. apartment is yeah. getting a little tight. But, yeah. but the, 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 the thing is, is everybody's busy. They're working. They're, they're, they've got plenty of work to do. As a result, the economy is booming. And when the economy is booming, revenues increase for the states. Idaho has a, a roughly $150 million surplus wow. this year. And we're in the fourth quarter now. Uh, as a result, our legislature uh, passed a $200 million tax cut. Uh, that's, that's amazing. That's more money for the, the, for individuals to keep in that's, their pockets and for businesses to keep. That's amazing. Which they can invest in their businesses and give bonuses and pay raises to their employees. It's exactly what this country needed. I think it's fantastic. John, you're here in Washington. You're an Overland Park native. I'll let our audience know, folks, since this broadcast, uh, our hometown is, is uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Actually, our offices are in Overland Park, and our uh, studios are over in uh, Mission, Kansas. But, you know, you're, you're here in D.C. now. You're a D.C. guy. 
guy. Uh, well, I'm a Kansas guy. Yeah, he happens I, I, to be I, I, in DC. I, I, yeah, I know. I'm but, a swamp terrain. Yeah, yeah. But but what but what what do you you know? You hear all this noise sure. here, and there's a lot of noise here. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it was interesting <laughs> listening to Brett Baird today talk about he while while it's drinking like it's drinking out of a fire hose. It's nirvana for a political reporter, right. which I thought was a very interesting comment. So w- what are your thoughts on what you see and hear coming back here to DC? Yeah, you know, Carrie, a few weeks ago I did a column for Forbes called "It's Still the Economy, Stupid," and it. I picked up on the idea uh, that you know James Carville, obviously back in the in the nineties, argued, stri- yeah. argued that uh, you know Clinton could win the election versus Bush because the economy was going downhill, and in the end, pocketbook issues would trump, no pun intended, everything else. And I think we could have that dy- dynamic in reverse. So there's a lot of hand wringing up here in, in DC, a lot of anxiety. Uh, among Republicans about what's going to happen. And just a, a quick historical look at that is, you know, typically in the first midterm of a new president, it does not go well for the party in power. Right. So traditionally there are, you know, swings of, of more than 50 seats typically, and Democrats have to take 24 seats to get to get the majority. So they have to underperform historically to get the majority. But I, I think Ron, I think, is right that there is a an enthusiasm and, and a positive not just feeling, but consumer confidence all over the, the country. And you have, you have growth going back to 3%, which is more of a normal. The old new normal under Obama was 1.5%. We GDP were told growth. that was a new normal. Right, and that was unacceptable. That was a new abnormal that's being changed. So you have bonuses going up. You've got uh, stories all over the country of capital coming back in. And that was discussed yesterday in the meeting at the White House. Treasury uh, Deputy Secretary. Munchen. Yeah. It was, it was, Mnuchin, it, it, I can never get that right. Masunich, his deputy, okay. made the point that, look, we have trillions of dollars, maybe three or four trillion, a number that is so big they can't even count it because they don't track the data. It's all private balance sheets. You have money coming back into the country with American companies reinvesting in their own operations. So we've only just begun to see the positive impacts of tax reform. And we're talking about a massive influx of new money. There is no, now there is no reason to not bring that capital back. Previously, when we had a high corporate tax rate, there was every incentive to keep it offshore. Now the line was the biggest, you know, uh, outsourcing program in the the country was our tax code. Right. And so now we've changed that. That is going to have a major, major impact. And I think we've only just begun to to see the positive results of that in places like Idaho and everywhere across the country. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it was interesting. It, it, it's fascinating to me when I see somebody like Tim Cook from Apple actually come out and say... <laughs> yeah, the economy's backward. It's <laughs> stupid. It's made for the industrial age. We live the digital age. Yeah. He blasted it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah, but they're moving their money back into the United States. You He's committed it. to... So what you say in terms of what we're seeing is, is actually occurring. I think we're going to see a lot more of it. It's an interesting perspective. All right. When we come back from the break, I'm going to lead off with Allison Ball. She is the youngest state treasurer. She is the treasurer for the state of Kentucky uh, and an expecting mom here with us today. So we're going to come back from the break. We're going to hear what's going on in Kentucky. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Lots of information up there, uh, videos, other things. Also, 
There's uh, pictures up there of what we did here at State Financial Officers Foundation. You want to take a look at that. The website, again, americashealthcareadvocate.com. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Coming up this segment, we're going to continue this out-of-the-box, unusual conversation for this show. I know that, okay? But it's informative and an opportunity to give you information you normally wouldn't get. So we're talking about all things that are going on uh, across the country with tax reform. We're going to talk about some health care issues. We're going to talk about repeal and replace of Obamacare. We had some insight on that today. And we're visiting with um, Allison Ball, Treasurer for the State of Tennessee, Ron, K- Ron Crane, Treasurer for the State of Idaho, Derek Kreifels, President of the State Financial Officers Foundation, and John Hart, President of the Board of Directors for the State Financial Officers Foundation. Their website, www.statefinancialofficers.org, www.statefinancialofficers.org. If you want to learn about the organization, they do partner with businesses and other people. If you want information about them, go up there and take a look at it. We are broadcasting live from the Heritage Center here in Washington, D.C., and uh, we're having a really nice day, and it's a tremendous opportunity. So, Allison, it's your turn. What, what, what is happening uh, as a result of tax reform in, in the great state of Tennessee? Well, and actually, I'm in the great commonwealth of Kentucky, which is why right did next I, to Tennessee. Why did I get that wrong? No, pro- no problem. <laughs> we're, we're close to each other. Well, so. the people in Tennessee appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were just talking about tax reform and, and what's happening. And I know a lot of people who had sort of prejudged tax reform from the more liberal perspective, uh, they've talked about how it's crumb. Uh, for for American people. And that kind of made me mad when I first started hearing that. So uh, I wrote an op-ed and I tried to include some real facts about how this tax reform is helping Kentuckians. And this is true all over the country. It's not just Kentucky, but but I was able to look at the numbers for Kentucky. And we have several of our largest businesses, AT&T being one of them. Uh, They have 2,000 employees in Kentucky, several local Kentucky businesses, one called Turning Point Brands in Louisville, uh, one called Atlas Air, uh, Walmart is a big employer in Kentucky. They're all giving $1,000 bonuses just because of the tax reform because uh, they, they have more money, and it, they were putting it directly to the people that work for them. Uh, a huge impact immediately when you're getting a $1,000 bonus. And on top of that, uh, several businesses have increased their minimum wage. And I love that because it's not that anybody put pressure on them to increase their minimum wage. They just, because of the tax reform, they have more money, and so they're investing in their employers. So, again, that's one of those things that has a direct immediate impact on real-life families. You know, you're getting a bonus of $1,000, or you're getting a raise in your, your minimum wage, or you're getting both. Some of the businesses are doing both. And this is another thing that kind of gets overlooked, but we've had some of our utility companies that have said because of the tax reform that they are lowering the rates they're charging Kentuckians. Uh, and that's one of those things that you know makes a big difference in somebody's pocketbook because that's a recurring yes, payment every month. every month they're going to do. So I've been going around telling people, and, and Kentuckians get it because they're receiving the bonuses and the raise in the minimum wage or the lower uh, utility rates that uh, just emphasizing this is really helping middle class American families. It's helping middle class Kentucky families and it's happening all over the country. Okay, so this has been in place now, what, three months? Is it, is it three months or even, maybe not even three? Something like that. It's okay. pretty close to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about three months, John? Uh, three or four months. Three or four? Okay, so, yeah. all right, and, and, and 
what you're saying is already happening. Speaking of Walmart, I just read that Walmart made two salary changes. One, uh, employees that have been there for a certain period of time go to $15 an hour, and new employees are being hired at $12 an hour. Mm. So immediately, when you're talking about hourly income, there was a change there. Also, Derek, today when we were having some of the panel discussions, we had a young lady from the Heritage Foundation who put up a stat that showed a family making $75,000 a year was going to receive, what was it, $2,700, John? Mm -hmm. I think it was $2,700, wasn't it? $2,700 dollars in actual dollars back as a result of this tax cut is that yeah 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 that was romina Baccia here there at Heritage foundation okay. um yeah i'm it, glad you a, said her name and i didn't it's have okay to. that's okay it's a, a great <laughs> example um but you know uh, what treasure treasure ball mentions uh treasure ball is a is another you know great example <clears throat> of how some of these state treasurers and auditors are supporting this initiative, and they've gone out, you know, while Congress was debating the the fine details of the bill, um, you know, they were able to go out and and support once it was passed, you know, go out and actually show Americans concrete examples. For example, J.B. McCuskey, the state auditor of West Virginia, he went to this to his uh, state house and and held a press conference saying, "Look, West Virginians, you're going to get an extra paycheck this year." Wow. Um, you know, that's to, to put it in, in real life term yeah. Yeah. of how it's impacting families. And, uh, you know, we had uh, op-eds and, and TV um, interviews with uh, Nevada controller Ron Connect. And I know uh, tre- Mississippi Treasurer Lynn Fitch and, and several others, uh, you know, were able to go out there and really help educate the public on how the, this tangible way that it's helping people. And, and so that's why it's, it's so offensive when the progressive movement, you know, talks about, you know, these crumbs and well, the, or they, scraps, they, yeah. and it, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that, you know, to know that there's this many Americans that are being benefited by this, you know, a, a tax change that hasn't happened in more than two decades, three decades. 1986. Didn't we hear 31 years, John, today? Wasn't 30, 1986. Yeah, yeah okay, we, 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 gave, we gave the, uh, the SFOF... Uh, financial Freedom Award uh, to a, a member of Congress every year, and it went to Chairman Kevin Brady of Texas. Who, Amazing guy. Who really ushered it in. He made the comment in his acceptance speech that, you know, it was uh, the year he graduated from high school was <laughs> the last time, you know, economic conditions were this good or this decent and, and that tax reform was uh, being uh, uh, looked at. So, so I'm going to go back to you, John, because yeah. you're here in this town and, 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 and you live here. Why, given all of this positive news, why so much pushback. The, the comment was made, it's nothing but crumbs, that was made by Nancy Pelosi, who owns a vineyard and lives in a mansion in right. Northern California. I didn't say that. <laughs> yes, I did. But, but, but why, why so much pushback on something that, that is benefiting everybody? Unemployment sure. is the lowest it's ever been with African Americans. It's the lowest with Hispanic Americans. Um, the overall unemployment rate is lower than it's been in 20 years. Why all the pushback? Well, Kerry, it's, it's pure politics, is that in a, in a midterm election year, the party that energizes its base and turns out its voters tends to win. So that's why you're seeing all this focus on, on, on the left, on the Trump scandals, uh, even gun control. They're, they've weaponized the gun control issue and are using that as, as an issue to turn out their, their voters. And so when you have an issue that is going to be energizing, rightly so, uh, to independents, to everybody, to people that – because economic growth transcends ideology. Again, that's what James Carville understood. So that issue will not only energize uh, Republican voters who, who want to see that their decision was a, a wise decision if they voted for someone 
who supported the tax bill, they're going to be less likely to vote for the Democrats. So it's all about motivation. It's all about who's going to turn out their base. And that's why you don't, the, the party that did not support it does not want to see it benefit the other party. It's a very simple, pure uh, politics within, that, within the Beltway. That certainly puts it into perspective. All right, so we're going to wrap it up on this segment. When we come back, we're going to start focusing now on some health care issues. We're going to talk about something you probably don't know about. It's the ABLE Act. So you'll find this very in- interesting, especially if in your family you have a child with disabilities. I have a niece um, who is a Down syndrome child, so I'm, well, this is a fascinating topic. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA, live from the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Our producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're coming to you live from the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. We are here at the State Financial Officers Foundation meeting. Uh, this is the spring meeting. Their website, statefinancialofficers.org, State financialofficers.org. They do partner with businesses. Um, They do get involved with organizations. If you're at all interested or think you may be interested, um, go up to the website. You'd be surprised. You might see who's up there. Uh, And it's pretty interesting stuff. Joining me in studio, Allison Ball, uh, Kentucky Treasurer. I got it right this time. Ron Crane, Treasurer for the State of Idaho. Derek Kreifels, President of the State Financial Officers Foundation. And John Hart, President of the Board of Directors of the State Financial Officers Foundation. So I learned something today that I was fascinating and I knew nothing about. And I have a niece who is a Down syndrome child. Um, and the very issue that they were talking about today, which was the issue of the availability of, of, of state funds and, and different programs, uh, this issue, this ABLE issue, I, I was just floored that I didn't know this existed. So I learned something fascinating today. Let's tell the audience about this for children with disabilities. This is a fascinating program and a very good program. Allison? Yeah, I would love to elaborate a little bit on that one. So we had Kathy McMorris Rogers today speaking to us. And the reason or a reason why she was here today is because she was one of the architects, one of the early champions <laughs> of uh, this change in the law. So it developed originally as a, as a federal change, which allowed states to, if they wanted to, implement these programs. So uh, the only way that these can actually happen is if the states themselves decide to, to implement the program, uh, which I did in Kentucky last year or about a year and a half ago. We introduced our version of ABLE, and we were one of the first states in the whole country to do an ABLE program. Uh, and in Kentucky, we call it Stable Kentucky. Uh, we're a horse state, so horses go in stables. Yeah. StableKentucky.com, and it's it's pretty much the same in my state as it is in every other state that's decided to adopt these. But they are savings and investment programs. They're 529, versions of 529, for people with disabilities who have been term- determined to be disabled by the age of 26. So, you know, you're pred- predominantly focusing on kids or people who have been diagnosed while they were children. And they, they do several things. One is they're tax-free at the federal level. Uh, and that's important because it, it just stretches their dollars. It's, it's encouraging savings. And then another key component of it is that uh, when you put money into these accounts, and there's a cap, uh, obviously, uh, there's a point where you're not allowed to go beyond that, and the cap right now is $14,000 a year. But you can put that money in there without it jeopardizing benefits that this person is receiving. So it is encouraging them to be less reliant upon 
the government and to be able to, to save money um, and have more control of your life. And I tell people in Kentucky, there's another component about it that I like, that family members and friends can contribute to these accounts for people. So again, it's just removing that government dependence. It's allowing you to have more control because your family and your friends can, can help you out. So, so go back to something you said that's key. Yes. It doesn't jeopardize your ability to receive benefits. Prior to this passing, explain how that was. It, 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 it was just the opposite, Allison. So people that fall <laughs> into this community, and it's quite a big community, uh, right now, if you don't have a, an ABLE account, then you're only allowed to save up to $2,000. So it's discouraging savings, and it's actually discouraging working because yeah. – you, you don't have much of an incentive to work. You have some, obviously, but, but you have way more when you can start saving your money. And, uh, and Kathy McMorris-Rogers talked about one new addition to the program. And this is great. I love this because we're doing this in Kentucky. That it's ABLE 2.0, and it's called ABLE to Work. And the idea of that is, is that people, when they, can, when they have a job, you know, their particular disabilities don't prevent them from working, they can then put that money straight into a ABLE account. Uh, and, and again, it's just encouraging being involved in the workforce. It's encouraging savings. Um, it really can allow somebody to have more control of their lives. It's a very conservative concept behind it. Uh, so I'm proud of what's happening in Kentucky. I'm, I'm the one that, that's running it and uh, spearheading it. And I'll tell you one really quick story. When, when I launched our version of ABLE, Stable Kentucky, uh, I had a lady came up to me and she, she, her particular disabilities didn't prevent her from working. So she was somebody who's in her 20s. And she had a special van that was made for her to go back and forth to work, and her van had broken down. And she came up to me, she said with tears in her eyes, that this was going to allow her to save enough money to repair her van so she could keep working. Isn't because she, yeah, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. I thought, okay, that is exactly the kind of thing that we <laughs> want to encourage. So uh, I think it's the kind of thing that people don't know about, no. and I want to make sure they do know about. Right. And, and one more aspect of it that was changed, a lot of families will open up a traditional 529 account, and they plan on using using it for their child's college education. And then at some point, their child uh, has an, an injury, an accident, something happens, and college is no longer in the future for them. So uh, with a new change in the law, you can now transfer your money from the traditional 529 straight into an ABLE account, and they can use it for those qualified expenses that they have. So uh, really, it's just allowing people to have more control of their lives, less dependence upon the government, and encouraging savings and work. Yeah, you know, uh, Derek, it's very interesting that we that we see this program in place now. I I knew of the impediments because I remember talking to my niece about we've got an issue here. If we make more than this, or we do this, or we do that, they're going to take away certain benefits that she has, that that that, that my niece has, and 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 so th th you know this thing makes a big difference to me. At least from what I'm hearing, I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Absolutely. You know, <coughs> um, when we were uh, setting it up in some states in the Midwest, we would hear that. Um, a, a trust was the only way to yes. really protect those funds. And, right. um, you know, uh, that, that's okay, but you still have to pay somebody to set those lawyer. up. And, yeah, yeah, right. And, and so, you know, if a family had the resources and were willing to do that, then there was something, but it still didn't totally shield that, that $2,000 threshold and allow them to kind of have the freedom. And so we've been really happy to see most of our SFOF members um, are now launching, like Treasure Ball, um, uh, a lot of other states. I know Treasurer Eric Schmidt in Missouri. He's a huge ABLE advocate. Um, he actually helped shepherd their law in when he was still a state senator. 
Um, and so we're, we're excited about it. We're watching it closely. You know, anytime the 529 tax code gets altered, we're all, we, we get nervous whenever Congress opens any kind of tax code that they want to change because you're always afraid of what they're going to do that is unintended consequences right. or, or intended in some cases. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the other changes that, that happened during the Tax Cut and Jobs Act with 529 was the K through 12 expansion right. component, allowing those families <laughs> who had saved for college savings can now use that for private education. Yeah, and, and for Catholic and, schools. And, yeah, and absolutely. That makes a big difference for parents that have children in Catholic schools or Lutheran schools or Jewish schools or whatever right. the case may be. So yeah, that is a big difference. Ron, what did it do? Have you, have you done this in Idaho? Uh, Corey, we have not. Uh, we have the traditional 529 program that's very active and that uh, I helped implement in 2001, and today it's about $400 million and 30,000 accounts. So it's, it's, really, it's really taking off. We have not expanded into the ABLE program as yet. John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's, an, it's incredible that we have two leaders from states who are, who are taking charge. Allison has shown tremendous leadership on it, so I think it's, it's fantastic that SFOF is creating a forum to, to advance these issues. Yeah, and, and, and they have. It's funny because, you know, I've been in this business for 20 years now, and I had, and I stayed pretty on top of this stuff until today I had no idea this thing even existed, so it's pretty amazing. We're going to switch gears now. We're going to go to break in a few minutes, but I want to start. Let's just start with where we're at with health care. We, we heard some very interesting comments today from Grace Marie Turner about repeal, re, repeal and replace is not dead, John. That's right. At least not what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? Well, Carrie, I was I was encouraged by that. You know, and just for the viewers to understand, we had a panel discussion on healthcare. Carrie, you were a part of that, which was which was terrific. Uh, Grace Marie Turner with the Galen Institute, John Desser with eHealth, and Grace Marie has been very involved and active in convening policy leaders, thought leaders all over the country on on repeal and replace. And what people don't realize is that effort has not uh, has not died. It is very much alive. Uh, people have been working very very hard behind the scenes for months on that. And what Grace Marie shared today, we don't want to give give away too much detail because she asked some of it to be in confidence. Yeah, yeah, she but did. That's but there is there is <coughs> real momentum and real movement, and I think a realization that uh, not only you know the House passed a, a really good bill, wasn't perfect, it the American Healthcare Act, yes, one of the biggest uh, entitlement reform bills uh, in our history, as the Speaker just said a few few days ago on Meet the Press. Unfortunately, it failed by one vote in the Senate. One vote. But they're very very close to doing some major major changes and. And Carrie, the whole the whole crux on healthcare, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with this, is that we've got to create a market. You've got to shift the balance of power and authority. You want the center of gravity to be not the government, but the individual. We don't have a market now, John. We don't have a market. The problem is not that it's failed; it's never been tried in healthcare. No, that's and that's 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 exactly the, you know where we're at today. And I told the story on the panel today. You know, in, in in our agency, we saw a decline in the number of people on individual health insurance because if they didn't get a subsidy, they couldn't afford twenty seven hundred dollars a month or thirty six hundred dollars a it. month for a family of it's four. It's like a mortgage. It's it's it, that's exactly what it amounted to. So what did they do? They walked away. Right. They just walked away. Or they bought a short-term policy, and, and, and they're limping along on that. But, or the other thing we did is we moved a lot of them to small group, which made somewhat of a difference. So when we come back from the break, we're going to continue this conversation. We'll talk some more about health care, Obamacare, and some of the other things that are going on. We're coming to you live uh, from the Heritage Foundation here in Washington, D.C. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break with more. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. My producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're going to continue our conversation today with the folks here at the State Financial Officers Foundation. We're broadcasting live from the Heritage Foundation here in Washington, D.C. The website for State Financial Officers Foundation is statefinancialofficers.org. That's statefinancialofficers.org. You might learn a lot if you go up there. If you are a business or an organization and you want to talk about partnering with these people, uh, having an opportunity to get in front of these kinds of folks that are the state treasurers, the state financial officers, the auditors, etc., they all come here uh, to these conferences, and there is an opportunity there. Again, that website is statefinancialofficers.org. All right, John, let's go back to this for a minute because there was a lot of co- – we had a pretty fiery discussion there today. It was. That panel went on a to, to, it was like dynamic. you said, we, we could have stayed up there another hour. So um, uh, there, there's a lot of concern around this. There, there seems to be movement now. It, it, I, I'm reasonably optimistic that something's going to happen here, maybe even before the election. We'll see. Yeah, I, I'm, op- I'm optimistic as well. And I think, you know, when you talk about healthcare, care, Carrie, uh, in order to move the needle and really produce change, I think you have to believe the best of people's motives, that people on the left and right, everyone has family, everyone goes through health crisis, everyone has people that they love who pass away. And everyone cares about healthcare, so you've got to start from that standpoint, and and then you say, well, how do you get to the point that we all want to get to? You know, how do you sort of defang the issue a little bit, make it less venomous? And the way to do that is to look at what structures actually help reduce cost. And I think there are a lot of well-intended people in government or or public office that think if you just spend more money at the federal or state level, you'll help people get healthcare. But what we see throughout history is that the best way to make something expensive is for government to make it affordable. Right. And the only solution to a failed subsidy is, guess what? A bigger subsidy. Right. And subsidies and spending, even if well-intended, don't work. What you've got to do, as we talked about, is move the center of, of gravity to the individual. That's the only thing that, that reduces costs. You know, Adam Smith's The Invisible Hand of the Market is much more compassionate than the heavy hand of government. So those are the principles that have to guide us as we think about healthcare. And what we're seeing uh, is is the House and Senate kind of come to terms with the fact that they promised to get us to a better way, and they and the House succeeded again, they but did. the Senate didn't. Yeah. And I do think there's going to be another run at that. And I think folks are not uh, they're very pessimistic. I think too much so about what could happen. But something has to happen because it's hurting every family in the country. Oh, it's it's a having mess. a massive impact on our federal debt. Ta- healthcare is the primary driver, healthcare programs, and then our state budgets as well. You know, Derek and I were, were talking, uh, we, we typically had not focused on healthcare at SFOF meetings. We did that last year that you were, uh, your last meeting, you were on the Border panel. Lane. yeah. On, uh, we talked about direct primary care, had a very robust, uh, terrific discussion. We had another discussion today because all of the treasurers feel the impact of this, whether they have a direct in- influence on it or not. Uh, so we've got to get our head wrapped around it, and we cannot let the perfect become the enemy of the good, that there will be incremental steps in the right direction, because what we've seen is incremental steps in the wrong direction. Right. That's why we have an out-of-control system, costs are spiraling, hurting families across the country. Carriers are pulling out left and right. Right. And, and the providers are not happy. I think people are a little surprised to hear that message I gave today about that. The, you know, the providers aren't getting rich off this. The providers, the doctors, and the hospitals are not happy with this system right. at all. The re- because the providers have pulled out, the network's gotten narrow, the reimbursement levels have dropped significantly, exactly. Exactly. and it's simply not working. No, and we talked about in the context of Medicaid, so I, I th- it would be good to hear our treasurers weigh in on this because 
Medicaid uh, reimbursement rates are so low that in right. some, we'll some take, places half the doctors won't even accept we'll, the Medicaid. They won't patient. talk to so, them. Because they go out of business if they did. It doesn't yeah. mean they're not compassionate, they're not caring. They've got to keep their doors open, yeah. and, uh, and we've got to fix that. Ron? Well, uh, I think John is exactly right. The states are taking kind of a wait-and-see attitude because the feds have not taken the action on this. And so they're doing little incremental things that might assist. For example, in our state, um, there's been a hue and cry to expand Medicare coverage to cover the Medicaid, uh, Medicaid coverage that uh, would cover all the, the population that's not currently covered. And uh, that didn't go anywhere. But they did take action this legislative session to allow uh, you to purchase insurance across state lines, which is a little nibbling away at some of the things that are that I think will be helpful. But nothing happening until Congress does something on the repeal of Obamacare. So the incremental thing is, is absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, Derek, your thoughts? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting when we first announced that we were doing a health care panel in Idaho. I got a lot of turned heads. You told me this. I remember this. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, oh, boy, what am I in for? <laughs> yeah. um, and and the, the results of the panel was that the people came away saying it was one of the best ones that we've ever had. Um, so I think <laughs> it doesn't matter if a state treasurer or auditor has direct authority or statutory authority over a state's health benefit, benefit plan or, or, or the Medicaid process in their state, um, you know, we're encouraging these state leaders to really step up and be bold leaders, be the voice of reason. And, uh, and, and so we want them to lead on it. And so that's why we keep coming back to this issue. Um, and I think our, our group of state leaders are finally <laughs> catching on to that. And they're going back and they're, they're getting asked because it's such a financial issue. I mean, it's, Huge. you know, half the budget for, for a lot of the states. Yeah. Um, you know, and so they're finally getting asked for their opinion and, and for Good. Uh, advice. And so, um, yeah, we're going to keep doing it. Allison, your thoughts in Kentucky? So the state financial officer's um, slogan is look to the states. And Kentucky is actually a pretty good state to be looking at right now, talking about the future of health care. Uh, our previous governor was all in on Obamacare and uh, he did a huge exchange program, actually ended up expanding the Medicaid in Kentucky by, I think, a half a million people. So we right now have about 1.4 million people on Medicaid. Uh, that's a little over a fourth of our entire population. Wow. And it's bankrupting the state. Of and last course. time I was here, I talked about our pension crisis, which we're, we're working on resolving. Um, and so you have both those things together, and it just it's a stranglehold on the money that's available in Kentucky. It's a terrible situation. So our current governor uh, is a conservative governor, and he was the first to request a Medicaid waiver, which was granted by uh, the current president. And it's a big deal because right now it is tying for, for able-bodied people who are receiving Medicaid they have a, a work or a training or a pro bono requirement to continue to be in the program. And the idea is to get them out there and shift them from Medicaid because they'll be earning their own money. Uh, you know, it's a great conservative idea because we believe in people um, that they're a whole person and they need to be working and contributing. And it, and it all works together to make that happen. Thank you all. This was great. We we don't have another hour to keep going, John. <laughs> got it. So I've got about five other points on health care. There we go. We can, we'll we can do, do another show. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening today. And now I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. We must all learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish as fools. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye. America.